All right, it's Monday. You can still say good vach and shabbat tov. So good vach and shabbat tov to all. And thank you for your flexibility in smichas chaver. We're ready to do it yesterday morning, but some people wanted to actually get a little bit of sleep. I want to thank Erica and Perry Galler sponsoring tonight's shir in commemoration of the Yerzeit of uh, her beloved father, Benjamin Ben Moshe Yaakov Halevi, whose Yerzeit is Friday, the 26th of Elul. Neshama Shalavan Aliyah, thank you once again for your generosity, your sponsorship, and all of our being very selective in how we select should be a, a big schus for the Neshama. Okay, we start with a quick philosophical section, and we're going to cover ground in uh, the Halacha, because we only have a few sessions left. I want to leave time for Chazara before the Bechina, which is a perfect segue and opportunity to remind everyone, I urge you, sign up for the Bechina, as opposed to Muksa, some of the other areas of Halacha. This too is complicated. I don't want to minimize that this is a simple material, but it's doable material. And those who've taken the Bechina, the last Bechina, every single person from our Chabura who took it passed, will tell you that the Chazara Shirim, our review sessions, are very, very uh, helpful. You wish you when you were in law school, or medical school, that the professor's review sessions were as helpful as mine. That's why I'm not a Chinuch, by the way. I have a heart to be a Chinuch. So they're very, very helpful review sessions. If you listen to them, you will pass the Bechina. I all but guarantee it. Sign up for it. Push yourself. Challenge yourself. Stretch yourself. Leave your comfort zone. And you will feel tremendous pride when, please God, you pass the Bechina, you get the certificate, and so on and so forth. So I think we still, are we, Binyam, we're still a certificate behind? I think we're still. Uh, yes, we, we just got into the, we have these certificates for Muxa. Okay, so we still have to distribute the Muxa certificates. Maybe we should find a way to do that before we take the next uh, Bechina as well. But sign up. Philosophical section. Benusach Atfilas comes from a Sefer Shomer Torah Ashreyu, Parshat Kesisa. It's written by. Uh, Rav Weiss, who was a Rav in Eretz Yisrael, and he says the following, there's a contradiction. In our Nusach of Tefillah we say, on Shabbos, We say that, Let us inherit your Shabbos. Let it be an inheritance. Let us inherit it. But why are we asking, why are we requesting from Hashem that we inherit His uh, Shabbos? We say in Kiddush, that your holy Shabbos, with love and graciousness, we have inherited. So we've inherited it already. If hinchal tanu, if we've already inherited it, then why do we have to ask, hanachilainu? Please bequeath it to us. It's a contradiction. Have we previously inherited it? Is it hinchal tanu? Or are we asking to yet inherit it, hanachilainu? A good kasha. I'm 46 years old. I've been saying this, I've been saying Kiddush for a while, and I've been davening Friday night for a long time, and this question has never, ever occurred to me. Has it occurred to anyone here? It's a good question. Which is it? Hinchaltanu or Hanachileinu? I'm glad you came tonight. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Venira Lomar. So therefore, he suggests the following answer. Perhaps we can answer based on a drasha in Maseches Beitza, where the Torah tells us, Shem tells Moshe, I have a wonderful gift. I have allocated and designated for you a very special gift. It's in my storehouse. Its name is Shabbos. And I want to give it to the Jewish people. Go tell them. So how is he answering the question? What is he saying? So perhaps you can understand based on a halacha in Choshen Mishpat. The dinim in Choshen Mishpat. What is the halacha in Choshen Mishpat? If one person, if you want to have a transaction between one person and another, if you want an item or object to change possession from one person to another, you need a Misa Kinyan. You need it to be an act of acquiring, now is not the time, maybe Smichus Chavar at some time will tackle this area of halacha. I encourage Rav El Yada that we spend a zman on Choshen Mishpat questions. It would be fascinating for many of us who've never swam in the ocean of Choshen Mishpat. So there needs to be a Kenyan in order to create a transfer of property from one to another. And we have all kinds of Kenyanim. If you've ever been in person or watched online, first you maybe need to get a life, but the sailing of the chametz that I do with Junior, it's not the most riveting uh, entertainment, that's my point, although it's worthwhile to watch. So we're unsure, we're unclear of what is the motor mechanism, what is the instrument of transaction between a Jew and a non-Jew, and that's why we employ as many of them as possible. So we have, uh, we have uh, Hagba, we lift something, and we have Meshicha, 
and we have Mesira, and we have Tumta, uh, we, we shake hands with someone. So there are all kinds of laws of how you can create a transfer property. Some things you need to lift. If you find Hefker and you want to acquire it, you lift it. If uh, someone asked me a Shiloh's Psaic last night, and I was talking to somebody and learning about a certain sugya, and they said, what would you say about the following Shiloh, which is a fascinating Shiloh? They said, there's a restaurant in Teaneck where they don't have a liquor license, so they don't carry alcohol, but if you come in with a bottle, they'll charge a cork fee, and you can have a bottle of wine with your steak. So he goes with his wife to that restaurant, and she doesn't drink red wine. He does. So he's not going to bring a whole bottle. What's he going to do with the bottle of red wine there? But on many occasions, he has seen another family who came with the red wine with their bottle. They finish their meal and they leave. And on the table next to them, there's enough left in that bottle that was left over for a glass of wine for him with his steak. So can he take the bottle off of that table and acquire it? Do we assume this yeish? Did the previous customer relinquish any ownership when they left the restaurant? Did they give up on it? And now he can make a Kenyan. He can go acquire the leftover. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've thought about doing it with French fries on the next table. That's a little different. I'm just joking. But the wine. Wine's in the bottle. You know, nobody, there's no backwash in that bottle of wine in a nice fancy restaurant. There's low risk to take the leftover of the bottle of wine. I mean, aside from what it looks like to anyone who might see you. But it's a very efficient way of doing it. So can you assume halachically you are allowed to take it? So whatever the answer, whatever the discussion we had was, but a Kenyan requires, in order to be a transfer of property, a transaction, so sometimes you lift uh, something to acquire it, an animal's too heavy to lift, so you pull it or you call it, it comes to you, it might be enough. If it's a field, you build a fence around it. There's different modes and mechanisms of Kenyanim to acquire property depending on the circumstances and the product. There is one exception to the rule, where something changes ownership even though there's no Maisa Kenyan. And that area is Yerusha. When it comes to inheritance, when it comes to inheritance, when the uh, person who is bequeathing property assets to another dies, there is a Kenyan, there is a transfer of the ownership even without a Maisa Kenyan. It automatically enters the possession of the inheritor. The one thing that's needed is the knowledge that you're actually inheriting something. So if you have a rich uncle living somewhere who passes away and leaves you a fortune, it's automatically yours, but you will not be able to use it unless you know he has left it in your name. If you don't know about it, you're not happy about it, you don't own it. But if you do, you don't need a maisekin, you don't need an actual mechanism or active transaction, you automatically acquire it. So that's what he is answering, Shomer Torah is that Shabbos is an inheritance. When a person is born Jewish or they convert, they inherit, they automatically acquire, without needing any act, any formal act, they automatically acquire the beauty and the holiness of Shabbos. The one thing they have to do is, like any Yerusha, is to recognize it's there. And only when you recognize it's there and it's yours, then you have the right to use it, to spend it, so to say. At Kiddush, we thank Hashem that He gave us this inheritance. But during Davani, we ask Hashem to let us recognize its holiness and to appreciate its value. Because you need both parts in order to complete the transfer when it comes to inheritance. So if your rich uncle left you a jug, you may use it a few times and get rid of it, but as soon as you recognize that it's an old Chinese artifact, and that it's worth millions of dollars, your entire perception changes. So the same is true with Shabbos. Our tefillah, we're asking for, is that we got a gift from Hashem. Shabbos vidavan hanchilenu, let us recognize its value. Let us see its tremendous value, its magnitude. Let us experience its kedusha, so that indeed it can be transferred. So that is how to understand the davening. How does that connect to our parsha? Parshas Nitzavim, then we dive back into the halacha. Parshas Nitzavim, Torah commands us the mitzvah of tshuva, v'shavta Hashem lokecha, the obligation of responsibility, something tells me you're going to hear a lot about it over the next couple of weeks, the obligation to repair, to return to uh, the mistakes that we've made. The Orchus Tzadikim, the great Savior Orchus Tzadikim says, if it says v'shavta Hashem lokecha, then why does it say umal Hashem lokecha, eslavavecha? If it says you have returned to Hashem, then you've already done tshuva, why does Hashem have to soften our heart? Why does he have to circumcise our heart? So the Orchus Tzadikim explains the following. He says, Tshuva can be intimidating, can be daunting, can be frightening, can be overwhelming. But when a person begins the process, when a person feels Shavta Hashem Lakacha, reveals that Hashem reveals him his hidden strength. So when you are moved, when you are inspired, you find strength inside yourself you didn't know. If you begin the process of Tshuva, then Hashem is Malaz Lavavecha. He allows you to recognize your inner strength. Malaz to circumcise, it means to peel back that layer. It means to find what was underneath, what was inside all along. Many people live their lives not recognizing that inner strength and that potential. We daven at Shabbos, Hanachilenu. Let us recognize. We've inherited, we have it inside us. It defines us. But we ask that we appreciate its value so we can really truly appreciate that greatness. And then he has a a nice comment by the Orchaim HaKadosh, we said in last week's parsha, V'samachta b'chol atov, 
that the farmer is happy with all the good in life. So Tov, he doesn't quote this. The Balaturim says, Ain Tov el Torah. Tov is Gematria 22, the 22 letters to the Hebrew alphabet, to Torah. Ain Tov el Torah, It's possible I said that's at a bar mitzvah, Shabbos. What is the greatest joy, the greatest happiness? Bechol Tov is Tov is Torah. When we have Torah that informs, inspires our life, then we have, then we have Tov. But the Rechaim HaKadosh takes it a bit deeper. And he says, Imhayu b'nei Adam. And this apparently was turned into a beautiful song. These words of the Rechaim HaKadosh. I have two links to the song by Hillel Palei. I never heard of him. Anyone ever hear of him? Apparently he has a beautiful song. I will share. If a person would feel the sweetness of the goodness of Torah, all they would pursue, all they would chase, all they would care about is Torah, more valuable than all the gold and silver and cryptocurrency, I'm loosely translating, in the world. Then you would run after, not Bitcoin, you'd run after bits of Torah, uh, because you would realize how valuable it is. Ain tov el Torah. So if we make that first move, if we are, if we are v'hanchilinu, if we appreciate the value, then hinchaltanu, then we find what was inside us all along. Back to the halacha. Back to the halacha. Okay, so we left left off to summarize last time that it's a little bit difficult to describe what is a tarovis, what is a mixture. We've been going through the halachas of borer. There's a biblical prohibition to separate. Separate, winnow, sieve. When we take things apart, when we sort, that is a biblical prohibition among the 39 categories of creative labor. One gives something its greater value when you apply your creativity, uniquely human ingenuity, to separate and to sort, and therefore it is a biblical prohibition. We said that there are three things we can do that take it out of the realm of borer. Why? Because it's not derech borer, it's derech achila. You're not doing it in a manner of sorting, you're doing it in a manner of eating. Miyad biyad and ochal mitoch psolas. Miyad, you're doing it for immediate use. We defined immediate use. Can you make a salad to bring to your neighbor? Can you make something for shalashinus before you go to shul for shacharis? What do we define as miyad? We spoke about that at length. Biyad. We spoke about what is biyad. How do you define an instrument of sorting? We had a fundamental machlokus about that. Does it make the sorting easier? Any instrument, but it makes the sorting easier? Or something specifically designed for sorting and selecting? And then the last category was ocha mitok psolas. How do we talk about the mixture taking one from the other? So what do you do when you want to sort, but you cannot fulfill the three requirements? So Shlomo Zaman in Source 21 says the following. So when you have a mixture, and there is no way to fulfill all three criteria, you cannot do miyad, biyad, and ocha mitok psolas. If you cannot meet all three criteria, and you have this mixture you want to be able to resolve, you know what you do? Undo the mixture. Says of Shlomo Zaman, you're not allowed to sort or select the mixture, but what you can do is nullify the mixture, undo the mixture, abolish the mixture. How do you do that? By spreading it all out. It's no longer a mixture, and therefore you're no longer separating or sorting. You're simply abolishing, you're nullifying, the, you're dissolving, so to say, the mixture. Ramosha also passes this way in Source 22. He says, So you have a mixture of silverware, right? I don't know, I guess yekas, when they, when they wash their silverware on Friday night, do yekas wash like all the forks and they put them in the fork compartment to dry, then they wash all the knives, they put them in the knife compartment to dry. So, but the rest of us, you know, you're half asleep, you had a few lechaims, you want to hit the chalant, which is your reward when you're done washing the dishes. In the old days, you'd want, eat some chalant, read the Jewish week to aggravate yourself before you fell asleep. So uh, you, you, grab, uh, you grab all the silverware and you wash them and they dry and they dry in a big mixture. Now Shabbos day, you want to set the table. What do you do? If you go take out all the forks so you can put out the forks, that is the biblical prohibition of borer. So what do you do? Says Reb Moshe, no problem. You take a handful of a mixture of silverware and you throw it on the table. And when you throw it on the table and the countertop, now you've dispersed it. So you no longer have a mixture. And now when you have isolated, separate, apart, forks and knives and spoons, now you can go take all the forks and go collect all the forks. Ah, why isn't that borer? Because there's no mixture. In order to have borer, the presumption of borer is that you're separating or sorting from a mixture. If there is no mixture, then there is no separating or sorting. So Shlomo Zalman and Rav Moshe both agree that you can simply throw the mixture to undo the mixture, spread it out, and when you've spread it out, now you are no longer sorting, no longer spreading. Alternatively, Shmir Shabbos Paskins, not in the source sheets, Shmir Shabbos, it's in uh, Perak Gimel, Halacha Pei Hei, Paskins in the name of Shlomo Zalman, an alternative. 
that you can randomly pick up a utensil and then put it away. So you're holding in your hand a mixture of forks, knives, spoons, soup spoons. You're holding a big mixture. You can randomly take a utensil. You took a fork, now you put it down as a fork. Or you took out a knife, now you can put it in the drawer in the knife section. So in other words, you're not allowed to go take out all the knives to put them away. You can't take out all the spoons to set the table with the spoons. You can either disperse all the silverware on the table or you can randomly take something and then put away that one something that you have that you have taken. That's also out of Moshe seems to Paskin that you can either spread it out or alternatively take them one at a time and use the thing that you've taken. What about a refrigerator? Is that a tarovas? Do we consider a refrigerator a tarovas? So the answer is, you know, there's a refrigerator and there's a refrigerator. There's a bachelor's refrigerator, there's a woman's refrigerator, there's a Yekka refrigerator, there's a Pesach refrigerator. Not all refrigerators are created equal. So the Orcha Shabbos in Source 23 says, Mikarer, I'm, I'm speaking very quickly tonight, I apologize, we have a lot to cover. Mikarer, the good news is you could watch or listen to it back. No one's ever told me they've listened to me in half speed. Double speed? They say, half speed I've never heard. But if this is too fast, you can listen back slower. So, Aruch HaShavis writes, Mekarer HaShagabe Medafav Munachim Gderet Shaykelim Zeliyad Zeh Nira De'enem Nechshavim Kimu Uravim Ve'en Yisur Bahafrad Asam He says, items side by side in a shelf in the refrigerator, they're not a mixture. You're not going to, if you look at the uh, shelves on the refrigerator and you've got the ketchup next to the mustard, next to the mayonnaise, next to the 17 salad dressings, next to the crane, that's not... Uh, that's not considered for the bottles to all be mixed together. We're not going to say, you better go take the ketchup, don't take the thing you don't want. It's not a tarovas. Omnam, however, So it all depends which part of the refrigerator we're talking about. On the door of the refrigerator, you have a bottle of Diet Coke, you have a bottle of seltzer, you have a bottle of water, you have a bottle, of course, of diet peach snapple. So those are separate bottles in the wall of your refrigerator. That's not called mixed. So when you go and you want to take what you want to take, you do not need to meet the three criteria because they were not mixed together. But now let's talk about your vegetable drawer. Now let's talk about your fruit drawer. Uh, again, assuming you're not a tremendous yucca, those drawers, everything's mixed together. When you go look for that fruit or that vegetable, you've got to go on a major search mission through that compartment of the refrigerator. That part of the refrigerator might in fact be a tarovas. So it all depends which part of the refrigerator we're talking about. Is it subject to borer? It all depends how you define a mixture. Again, what I like based on the Rocha Shulchan, we said last time, what I find meaningful in trying to define what is a mixture is the eyeball test. If when you eyeball it, it looks like a mixture, it's a mixture. Sfarim books in a bookshelf don't look like they're mixed. But in a big pile, all mixed together, if you look at what Junior has to put away after Shabbos morning on the cart, the Sidurim, the Chumashim, the different types of Sidurim, they're all mixed together, which is the perfect segue to Surah 24 books. Shlomo Zaman says, If you have the books organized in the shelf in a certain order, That's such a great line. Usually, the library is organized only according to the owner of the library. The visitor to the library has no clue, no rhyme, or no reason for how the, or- the library is organized. But the person who owns the library can tell you exactly which bookcase, which shelf, how far in to find the book. So you want to go take a safer, you want to go take a book from your bookcase. You know the way your books are organized. To the outsider, there seems to be no rhyme or reason, but to you, it makes sense. That's not called a mixture. Shlomo Zaman says, books standing in a bookcase are not considered to be a mukh. Open your closet, and you can see your suits hanging on hangers. I don't know if you're Glenn, we'll pick on Glenn Gallagher, she's not here. He's got like, you know, three ladies' closets of suits, shirts, custom-made, cufflinks. So are those suits all considered to be mixed in the closet? Are the shirts all considered to be mixed in the closet? Phil, don't sell me out. Are those considered to be mixed or separate? If you're going to get dressed on Shabbos morning, do we say you need to? Glenn probably does put out his Shabbos morning outfit on Arab Shabbos. But are you obligated to put your Shabbos morning outfit out? Don't put this in the weekly. Please, I beg of you. I'll never hear the end. Are you obligated to put your Shabbos morning outfit out on Friday afternoon because you can't get dressed Shabbos morning? That's Borer. You're selecting that suit from your closet? Says Rosh Hashanah, no. Things easily distinguishable, recognizable, as separate and apart, like the things hanging in your closet, are not a problem. However, 
However, if they're not considered to be a mixture, then they're okay. So, for example, a messy pile of books is a mixture, and you'll have a problem. So if you have a messy pile of books, you try to take out all the Sidurim to put them away, all the Chumash to put them away, you got the RCA Sidur, you got the Art Scroll RCA, Old RCA, Koran RCA Sidur, the Art Scroll RCA Sidur, the All Hebrew Sidur, the All Hebrew Society Sidur, and they're all mixed in one big pile. And now you're going to separate them out so you can easily put them back in the bookcase. That's a problem of Borer. That could be a problem of, of Borer. Ravavadya, I don't know if we have any of our Svartim on tonight. It's excusable if they're sleeping already. They've been waking up all month early. But Rav Avadya, Yabi Omer Chelekei, Rav Yitzchak Yosef, and Yalkut Yosef, Simon Shin Yud Tet, Ara Pe Aleph, Paskin's books are never considered to be a mixture. You could have books in a big, messy pile, so when Junior puts away the Sephardi-based medrash, then it's not a problem. So if our kids, Sephardi kids, want to volunteer to put books away, you do not have a problem with border when it comes to books. Rav Avadya's opinion is, recorded in these two places, that books are never subject to borer, they're never considered to be in a mixture. Pickles, in pickle juice. I happen to be a big fan of pickles. I like pickles, half sour pickles, particularly with coleslaw is my favorite. So um, pickles, pickles and water. When you go stab that pickle to take it out of the pickle jar in the water, is that borer? Are you taking the pickle from the water? Is that considered a mixture? Pickles with water and you're taking the pickles out? So source 25, the Orchel Shabbos. The water in a pickle jar is not considered mixed with the pickles. They're each distinguishable. You see the pickle, and you see the brine, you see the water. So in fact, because they're not considered to be a mixture, they're not subject to borer, which means that you're even allowed to pour out the water using the lid of the jar. Let's say it's the last couple pickles. So, you know, you don't want to make a mess. You're going to pour the, the liquid out. You're going to hold the lid just to let the liquid out and hold back the pickles. Is that a problem of borer? Remember, you cannot have borer. You don't violate borer if you don't begin with a mixture. If you don't begin with a tarovas, it's not even a candidate to violate borer, and therefore it is not a problem. Next, large pieces and small pieces on the same dish. So what happens if you have um, chicken, meat, fish, whatever the case may be, on a large dish, and you want uh, specific pieces? So is that a borer problem? Are you separating out the large from the small the burnt from the, the well done from the not well done, and so on. So source 26, Shabbos. You have large and small pieces mixed together. They're made from the same food. You're allowed to separate them out. Even if it's not for immediate consumption. And even if you're using a utensil, meaning you're not fulfilling miyad, you're not fulfilling biyad, and you're going to take the psolas from the ochel, it's okay. Why? Because you only need the three criteria in order to avoid borer. When do you need to avoid borer? When there's a mixture. If it's not a mixture, you're not needing to avoid borer. You don't need the three criteria. So if you're serving a kugel and you don't want to serve the small pieces, so let's say you have a pan and it's cut up, but you want to take only the big pieces to put in the tray. Are we worried of when you put them on the tray, you're taking the big pieces and not the small pieces. What if you take out only the small pieces to leave the big pieces? Do you have to do it? The answer is, according to the Orcho Shabbos, no. Small pieces from big pieces of the same food is not a candidate to be borer, and therefore you do not need to meet the criteria. Next practical example. What about if you have the same food, but prepared in two different ways? So you have a grilled chicken on a platter with a cooked or baked chicken, would you consider that to be a mixture? Even though they're both chicken, you have both chicken cutlets, dark meat chicken, pargiot, everyone knows is better, except for my father, who likes chicken breast. Everybody knows the dark meat is better. So you have on the plate, you have grilled dark meat, grilled pargiot, you have broiled pargiot, or boiled pargiot, or baked pargiot, or different forms of cooking. I just exhausted my list. So the Mishnabur and Sif cotton tes vav, shin tes, tes vav. Mishnabur writes, so some of the pieces didn't turn out the way you want, so you want to remove the pieces you don't like, which would be taking the psolas. Some raw, some cooked, some living, some dead. And then he qualifies further down. 
the basa tzlim of vushal mikra shnei minalin and zevachoshki and basa shalbini ofas mechulakim. So he says, if it's prepared in two different ways, then it is a problem. It's considered a tarovas. It's a mixture. Even though it's min echad, you have one type of fish: some raw, some cooked, some grilled, some baked. But uh, even though it's one type of fish or one type of chicken, because they are prepared differently, that's called a tarovas. And then you would need to take the ocha from the psolas. You can only do it if it's miyad, if it's right before you're going to consume it. And you must do it biyad without an instrument. What about dark meat and white meat? So he said different forms of cooking are enough to consider it tuminim. So if you have grilled chicken next to uh, boiled chicken, those are tuminim. Those are considered to be two types of food. It's considered to be a mixture. What if you have dark meat and white meat? Dark meat and white meat. Orcho Shabbos, source 27. Gersh. I don't know if Gersh is still with us. Dark meat or white meat? So the Rosh Hashav is quotes from the Yashiv, source 27. You have different pieces of a uh, bird, different pieces of the of the uh, chicken that are mixed together. You have the breast, you have the wings, you have the thighs, you have the polkas. Some say white meat and dark meat, the 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 wing and the um, and the polki are considered to be, uh, some say they're considered to be a mixture of two species, and others say, no, they're all min echad, they're all considered to be one. Rav Yashav sees all the pieces of chicken as min echad, and Shlomo Zaman felt they're considered two different types of food, and separating them would require the three criteria. By the way, here's a good example. Until now, Rav Yashav's always been machmir, and Shlomo Zaman's always been mekel. Rav Yashav's been strict, and Shlomo Zaman's been lenient. But now we have them taking on a role reversal. Rav Yashav is lenient, and says dark meat and, and uh, white meat, the uh, chicken, uh, the wing, and the polka, Rav Yashiv says, ah, that's all chicken. It's all chicken. It's not a mixture. It's not a tarovas. You don't need to meet the three criteria. Whereas if Shlomo Zama was strict and says, they're considered to be two separate, therefore they're considered to be a mixture, and therefore you need to meet the three requirements. The Rosh Hashavah then continues, Source 27. He quotes the Prima Godim that if you never eat white meat, everyone agrees a platter with white and dark meat is considered a mixture. Rabbi Yashav would also be machmir. So I'll pick on my father. He's sleeping right now in Israel. Just celebrated his grandson's wedding. Mazel tov to him. So, uh, and sad for me, I was supposed to be there. So uh, my father doesn't eat, he only eats white meat chicken. So for example, my wife, who's an amazing daughter-in-law, when she prepares chicken, everybody else likes dark meat in my family and my mother. She always makes one piece of white meat for my father. He eats the white meat of chicken. So my father only eats white meat, will not eat the dark meat of chicken. It's not a racial issue. It's not a, it's not a uh, bias. Just likes the white meat of chicken. It's a tough audience tonight. I don't know if it's Zoom or what's going on, but putting David K to sleep, which is... Uh, Get another meeting after this, David. You have a long night ahead of you, so go get a coffee. So if you never eat the white, if you never eat the dark meat and the white meat and the dark meat on the same platter, then even Rav Yashiv, who is generally lenient, will be machmir and say it's considered to be two separate minim, a tarovas, and you would need to meet the three criteria. So put it this way: I'll eat dark meat, I'll eat white meat. I prefer dark meat. That's why I go for major tzaos of chicken over general tzaos. Phil, are you familiar with that? General tzaos is white meat. Major tzaos is dark meat. Go for the major chow, not the general. The major, in this case, the major is a higher rank. So I will, but I'll, I could eat either the dark or, or white meat. So according to Rav Yashiv, so I don't have to meet the three criteria, biyad, miyad, and ta'ocha mitok solas. I can take whatever I want, whenever I want. But my father, who will not eat the dark meat, he has to take the white meat. He can only take the white meat out of the mixture when he's about to eat, and he has to do it without a utensil. What about a water filter? Next practical example. Next practical application. What about a water filter? A Brita, Brita water filter. So, Shulchanach and Sif Yud Paskin, if you recall, filtering water or wine from sediment was permitted. Why? You remember why? Anyone? Sif Yud. Shulchanach wrote, that you have wine or water, which is cloudy, which is mixed, you're allowed to run it through Mishmeres. Uh, since they, even though they have sediment in it, so why are you allowed to sort it? Why are you allowed to run it through something that was separated? The answer is because you can drink it even with the thing that's in it. That was the Shulchan Aruch. So because of that, because of that, most people drink it without filtering. It's not a mixture. The Bir Alacha quotes the Primagodim who says the following. Primagodim, the Bir Alacha here quotes the Primagodim 
who says, we read this before, Mishu we mentioned this previously, that when it comes to the laws of Borer, there is a rule, Einstein's rule of relativity, which means it's all relative to you. If you are an istinus, istinus means you are particular. Rabbi Moskowitz is an istinus. Dan Kaskell is an istinus. I'll give you a list of the other istinus in our community. An istinus is like a... You know, anyone who walks around with a bottle of Purell in their pocket is an istinist. That might be how we loosely define istinist today. Even, even without Corona. I'm saying before Corona, you walked around with a bottle of Purell in your pocket, you were an istinist, a fine schmecker. So those people were not going to drink the water as is. So an istinist, even though most people will drink it as is with it in there, but if you are such a uh, fancy schmancy fine schmecker, if you're such a careful, sensitive istinist that you'd never drink it that way, then you are not allowed to. Azai zok the bir alacha in the name of the primigodim. In the name of the primigodim. So what would come out? That let's say, you know, there's two types of people who go to the restaurant. When the waiter comes over and they say, what would you like to drink? And you say, water. The waiter then says to you, what does the waiter then say? You want a clean glass? Do you want a clean glass? Maybe. Well, what does the waiter then offer you? Bottled or tap. Would you like bottled water or tap water? Usually they have a nicer way of saying tap. But, you know, bottled water or regular water and so on. So again, there are those who are like, tap water, please, I'll overpay for a bottle of uh, bottled water that you probably just filled up from the tap anyway because I don't drink that tap water and they pay a premium for the bottled water. And then there's uh, me and you say, uh, my children. Tap water, just regular tap water, we are good to go. So if you're the type of person who only ever drinks bottled water, are you allowed to use a Brita water filter on Shabbos? The Brita water filter is filtering out whatever it's filtering out. But if you would never drink water that's not filtered, can you use the filter on Shabbos? So Hilcha Shabbos B'Shabbos, Source 28 says the following. When you talk about a Brita water filter, the water on the top of the Brita filter, before it runs through the filter and comes into the container part, it looks no different. It's clear water on top, it's clear water on the bottom. I don't know what the filter's filtering out. I don't know if the filter's filtering anything out, but the water looks the same on the top and on the bottom. So So he paskins the name of Yosha, drinking filtered water is permissible even for the Istanis. And so on and so forth. He says two reasons. Number one, there's no prohibition of Borah when the sorting is not noticeable. And here when it comes to a Brita water filter, the water on the top and the water after it's filtered look exactly the same. It's not noticeable to the naked eye. It's indistinguishable. And therefore you can't even say it's a candidate or subject to Borah, number one. And number two, secondly, the Primigodim is referring to an Istanis who would never drink unfiltered water. But today, everyone would take a cup of cold water from the sink if they were extremely thirsty. So even the fine schmecker at the restaurant who says, I'll take the Perrier, who takes the bottled water, if they were really thirsty, if they were really thirsty on a hot Florida day and they were offered an ice-cold glass of tap water, they would drink it. Almost everybody would drink it. So therefore, because of those two reasons in combination, number one, you don't really even see anything in the water before it goes through the filter. And number two, we don't really have that category of an istinus today because everybody, if they were really hot, dehydrating, would drink from a tap. Therefore, Rabbi Yashif says, even the person who ordinarily only drinks bottled water can use the Brita filter on Shabbos. However, there might be an exception to the rule of the Hilcha Shabbos B'Shabbos, and that is if you live in New York City. I don't know if it's true today. Maybe they clean this up during Corona. But New York City's water supply is filled with edible bugs. Belineder, I will post later a link for those who want to watch a video about the edible bugs in the New York City tap water. So many posts can wrote... Brooklyn. What? It's only in Brooklyn, not Manhattan. Is it only in Brooklyn? Yeah. All right, I'm going to hold back because it's Elul from saying anything about that. But only in it's Brooklyn. Really oh, yeah? He said that it's only in Brooklyn? Okay, very good. So apparently in Brooklyn, the tap water has microscopic bugs in it. And there are posts who say those microscopic bugs, you can even see not microscopically, if they were only microscopic, then they wouldn't be considered meaningful in halacha. You have to be able to see something with the naked eye to be meaningful in halacha. So um, so some posts can say you have to put a filter when, when that whole episode, when that was the hak, and that was the whole... Uh, that was the whole uh, controversy in the Jewish community. They were posting said you had to put a filter on the sink to avoid drinking the bugs. So if you follow those poskim that you need to filter out that water from those bugs, can you use such a filter on Shabbos? 
So according to the Soho Shabbos B'Shabbos, when you're looking closely at the water, the bugs are visible. If the bugs were invisible and only microscopic, then they wouldn't be a prohibition to consume. We're only prohibited to consume something that's visible to the naked eye. So obviously, number one, you can see it, unlike the regular water tap water we put into the Brita filter. Number two, those who are machmir are considered nistinus. They'd never drink the water unfiltered because it would be a violation of drinking of drinking uh, shkotzim, and it would be uh, seven or eight biblical lavan. So therefore, they'd never drink it. So they certainly meet the primigodim's criteria of an istinus, of somebody who is highly sensitive and wouldn't drink. So do we say that somebody who was machmir during the whole, whole um, bug controversy in the water and put a filter on their tap, what does that individual do about the water on Shabbos? So, so um, there were those who were machmir. There were those who were machmir. And uh, uh, however, even those who are machmir can use the water to wash their hands and dishes because for that, they don't mind the small bugs. That was the opinion of the Shemir Shabbos, Rav Belsky, in his Shulchan HaLevi. Rav Shechter, Rabbi Rav Shechter, allows filtering the water even if you would never drink it unfiltered. Even if halachically you think it's problematic to drink it unfiltered because it has bugs, he nevertheless allowed it to be filtered on Shabbos. And he brings four reasons for the leniency. We're not going to bring all four of them. But one of them is based on the opinion of the Chaya Adam, who holds that the prohibition of Boru doesn't apply when the reason that the other thing is psolas is only because of halachic considerations. If what makes the thing that you're separating from psolas, only what makes it that is not your personal preference, but what makes it that is a halachic consideration, that is not a problem of Boru. That's one of the four reasons Rav Shechter says in combination to be, uh, to be mekel, that even those who would not drink the water unfiltered because of the bugs, can continue to filter it even on Shabbos. What about a fruit and a fruit peel? We mentioned earlier the Ramon, Simon Shin Chaf Aleph, Shin Chaf Aleph, Siv Yud Tes, in uh, 321, chapter, uh, paragraph 19, Paskins, that if you remove an inedible peel right before the meal, it's mutter. You have an inedible peel. What's an example of an inedible peel? An orange peel. An apple peel is an edible peel. An egg peel, an orange peel, are inedible peels. I mean, in the orange beef at Chosen Island. The little pieces of orange peel are edible, but an egg peel is inedible. An egg peel is inedible. So the Bir Allah explains that since there's no way to get to the fruit without peeling it first, then you're allowed to peel it. That's not called borer. Ah, you're taking the psoas from the ochel. You're taking what you don't want from what you do want. I thought that's a violation of the th- one of the three criteria that we have. So the Bir Allah explains, since there's no other way to access the orange, there's no other way to get to the egg, there's no other way to get to the avocado, without taking off the peel, that's called derech achila. And remember, we said anything that's derech achila, not derech borer, is permissible. Shlomo Zaman explains that even if there technically is a way to get to the fruit without removing the peel. So for example, how could you get to the fruit without removing the peel with an orange? That's right, just cut the orange. Quarters, orange quarters, orange slivers. And then everybody likes to, you know, eat the fruit out from the peel of the orange. So are you mechuyev to slice the orange and eat the fruit away from the peel, rather than pull the peel away from the fruit, because you need to take the ochel from the psalas, not the psalas from the ochel. So Shlomo Zaman says, no, you're still allowed to peel it in the normal way, because that's the derech achila. That's the way you eat it. You peel the orange. That is the normative way to eat it. So therefore, peeling an egg, an orange, a banana, an onion, an avocado is permissible. However, it still has to be done miyad. So you can't say, you know what, we're going off to the park for the afternoon on Shabbos. I am going to want a, a uh, refreshing orange later but I don't want to mess up my fingernails and my hands later in the park, I'll peel the orange at home, put it in a little Ziploc bag, and bring a peeled orange with me to the park to have later. That would be a problem, because then you're removing the peel, and it's not miyad. You have to do it miyad right before you're going to eat, and you're not allowed to use a kli. You have to do it without a kli. That is the opinion of Ashkenazim. However, the Yakut Yosef, in Shin Yotes Nunches, quotes those who are mako to peel the fruit, even if it's done in advance of the meal. And he concludes, anyone who has the custom to be mako has people upon whom they can rely. That once you're allowed to peel the fruit, because it's derech achila, you can do it even well in advance of the meal. So when Svardim go to the park, then, Svardim take a nap, they send their wives to the park with their kids. But if Svardim were to go to the park, then they could peel the orange at home, even though they're only going to eat it later. What about an apple peel? So that was all about inedible peel. The inedible peel, machlokas Ashkenazim, Svaradim. Everybody agrees you're allowed to remove the inedible peel, derach achila. It's the only way to get to the heart of the matter. Question is, do you have to do it miyad immediately before you eat it, 
or you could even do it in advance of when you eat it. What about an edible peel, an apple peel? So the egg tal, Sachat Shavu Rebbe, verse 29, You have fruit. Majority of the world eat that fruit with its peel. Since everyone eats the peel, we do not view the peel as meat of an apple as a mixture, and the laws of border do not apply. So in other words, because the apple peel is edible, the apple and its peel are not a mixture. It's all just an apple. So just like I'm allowed to cut the apple slices, I can also cut off the apple peel, which means you're even, according to the Egle Tal, according to the Sakhachavri, you're even allowed to cut you're even allowed to peel the apple peel with a peeler well in advance of the meal. You could use a kli. doesn't have to be biyad. It doesn't have to be miyad. So if you're taking a peeled apple to the park to have that afternoon, according to the Egle Tal, the peel of the apple and the fruit of the apple are not considered a mixture, and therefore they're not a candidate for borer, and therefore you do not need to meet the three criteria, and therefore you're allowed to remove the peel, you can even do so with a peeler, it's permissible. Shemir Shabbos also says, using a peeler and an apple is permitted. Shemir Shabbos, Perek Gimel, um, as well as any fruit or vegetable, it's eaten with its peel. So a peach, a pear, tomato, I've never seen anyone ever peel a tomato, but if you were to peel something which could be eaten with its peel, then then it is not subject to not subject to border. Rav Moshe disagrees. It's not in our source sheets. But Rav Moshe Arachayim Chelik Dalad in Simon Ayin Dalad Borer subparagraph Ches. Again, that is Rav Moshe Arachayim Chelik Dalad Simon Ayin Dalad Borer Ches. He argues in Paskins peeling an apple is just like peeling any other fruit or vegetable that you discard the peel, and therefore you have to do it only biyad and miyad right before the meal. What about removing skin of chicken? How do you remove chicken skin? So the Moshe source 30. Or shall ov shiroi lachila, chicken skin, it's edible, it's edible. People used to love fried chicken skin or the chicken skin carries all the sauce or all the char marks, chicken skin, the fat, delicious with the chicken. Once upon a time, we used to eat the chicken skin. Then somebody decided it's not healthy and there went all that fun. But since it's edible, the chicken skin, So you're allowed to remove the skin, says Moshe, just like I could cut a piece of chicken in half, it's not borer. I could cut a piece of chicken to eat, it's not borer. I could remove the skin from the chicken, it's not borer. Skin of the chicken is part of the chicken. It's all min echad, it's one thing. And the requirements of borer do not apply, so I do not need to meet the three criteria. However, however, on the other hand, the Orcho Shabbos, source 31. Orcho Shabbos disagrees. Orcho Shabbos rather qualifies the comment of Rav Moshe. And the Orcho Shabbos says, yeah, when did Rav Moshe say that the chicken skin and the chicken are all one thing? When did he say that? When, in a place where everyone eats the chicken skin. America. Apparently, his assumption is that in America, everyone eats the chicken skin. But in Israel, nobody eats the chicken skin. He doesn't say why, but I would conjecture to say, because in America, we do much better job of shaving and waxing and laser hair removal on our chickens, whereas the chickens in Eretz Yisrael can be very hairy chickens. So in Eretz Yisrael, the assumption is that your hairy chicken, well, I'm talking like a sphera beard, I'm talking three weeks, your hairy chicken, you're going to pull that skin right off. Everyone in Israel pulls the skin off the chicken. In America, we have nice, smooth, chicken skin, so we leave it on. And therefore, Rav Moshe, when he says it's mutter to remove it, was talking about in America, but the Orcho Shabbos qualifies and says that would not be true in Eretz Yisrael. Shemir Shabbos Paskins, Shemir Shabbos Paragimel, even in Eretz Yisrael, the skin is considered min echad, since most people eat it with the chicken, and the rules of Borah do not apply. So Shlomo Zalman says that Rav Moshe Psak applies everywhere universally. Orcho Shabbos says Rav Moshe Psak applies only in America. In Eretz Yisrael, you do have to apply the rules of Borah to chicken and chicken skin. What is it? What about Sephardim? If Hedy were here, he would say, Rabbi, what is the Sephardim practice? Yakut Yosef, Shin Yotes Mem, Shin Yod Tet Mem. The Yakut Yosef says that it is permissible to remove the chicken skin. People eat chicken skin. Yakut Yosef as well is lenient. You can remove the chicken skin. What about peeling a cucumber? We talked about inedible peel like an orange. Edible peel like an apple. What about peel like a cucumber? Cucumber, it's usually not eaten. Most people peel the cucumber. Can it only be done right before the meal and without a clay? Like a cooked potato or banana peel by hand? 
The removal of the peel is usually when the fruit eventually removed, even if a clean advanced the meal, since the fruit and the peel are considered minachad. So what, how would you view a cucumber peel? So or it's chashat, edible. What? It's edible. It's edible. Yeah, there are people who eat the cucumber with the peel. First of all, again, not all cucumbers. If you have those little, those little delicious crunchy cucumbers, like you have at the Israeli breakfast in the hotel, those, they sell them overpriced in the supermarket in the little bag with a Ziploc top part on top. Those, the peel is delicious. You, you, most people don't peel. But if you have a hard peel of a big cucumber, I think most people peel that off. So how do we view the peel of the cucumbers? Oruch HaShab is source 32. The Oruch uh, HaShab says the peel of the cucumber or the peel of the uh, carrot are considered separate from the flesh of the cucumber, the flesh of the carrot. And therefore, you can only remove them miyad right before you're going to use them. Don't do it in advance. Because most of the world peel the carrot. Most of the world peel the cucumber. So therefore you have to do it in advance of the meal, not far in advance. Shemir Shabbos writes, it could be that today people do eat the cucumber with the peel. Yalkut Yosef, source 33. He quotes his father, Yalkut Yosef quotes his father of Avadia, that you're allowed to peel a cucumber or a carrot, you can even use a peeler. It's not considered a cleaf or brera. Why is it not a cleaf or brera? Look in the footnote, Ayin Beis. How do we view a peeler? Is a peeler a kliam yuchad lekach? Is a peeler a utensil designated for separating? Or is a peeler just a fancy knife? How do you view a peeler? So Yaakov Yosef here says, a peeler is a fancy knife. View a peeler as just being a fancy knife. And therefore Yaakov Yosef says, you're allowed to use a peeler. Reb Moshe agrees, a peeler is considered a fancy knife. It is a efficient knife, not a utensil for peeling, for separating. The Tshuva Savigdar Halevi, Rav Nevensa, quotes of Shlomazaman, that a peeler can be used right before the meal on items that are eaten with a peel. So there's a machlokis around this, but I think most people are mekel, that you are allowed to use a peeler. And if you would eat the skin, then you're allowed to even peel it in advance of the meal. Shmir Shabbos Paskin is about the following. We don't really have this here. In Israel, you can have this. You go to the shuk and you buy delicious challah. And often on the challah, you have the badat sticker that is attesting to the kashos of the challah. And where is that sticker? It's sort of baked right into the challah. So can you peel off that sticker? When you remove the sticker, is that borer? Are you separating or sorting the peel, the sticker, from the challah? Source 34. He says, peeling off the sticker is not a problem, even though you're taking the psalas from the ochel, but you can do it immediately before you're going to eat. Try to take off a little bit of the challah with it so that you don't actually rip the letters of the sticker. However, when should you do this? You have to be careful when to do this. Do this after hamotzi. Why? You have another consideration. If you peel it off and you peel off some of the challah with it before you make the motzi, it's not a shalim. You need to have, in order to be yotzi lecha mishnah, you need to have two full loaves. And if you peel off some of the challah with the sticker, then you will not have a shalim. What about a candy wrapper? A candy in a wrapper. When you take off the wrapper, some of these taffy, Dan Katz, the great candy man, may he return quickly, speedily in our day and give out taffies to our children and give them many, many, uh, what do kids get? Cavities. Cavities, thank you. So uh, you ever try to, you ever, when your kid gives you one of those Laffy Taffies to open for them on a Friday night? Have you ever, in Florida, just on the walk to shul, those Laffy Taffies melt? You ever try to take a wrapper off a Laffy Taffy? It's an exercise in futility. It's easier to solve a Rubik's Cube. Storo Choshav is Paskins, that a wrapper is not considered connected to the candy, removing it in, uh, well in advance of the meal is permitted. You don't have to do it miyad right before the meal. If the wrapper is stuck, many lollipops, then it might be a mixture, and then you would have the same rule of the sticker on the challah, and you should really only remove it right before you're going to eat it. What about seeds from a melon? Seeds from melons, Shmir Shabbos, source 35. You open up a cantaloupe. You open up a honeydew. Am I impressing you yet? And the uh, seeds that are on the inside... You want to scoop or take a knife and scrape away the seeds on the inside of that melon. 
So, you cannot reach the sweetness of the honeydew or the, or the uh, cantaloupe without scraping away the seeds. So even though you're removing the psolas, you're not taking the ochel, you're removing the psolas, the seeds, that which you don't want. Nevertheless, that's It's the only way to get to the flesh of the melon. However, you should do so right before the meal. So let's say again, before you go to Shul Shabbos morning, you say, I'm going to cut up my, I'm going to cut up my uh, honeydew or my, or my, um, Cantaloupe. Cantaloupe, thank you so much for impressing you. I'm going to cut it up before I go to Shul Shabbos morning, so it'll be ready for lunch. So that would be a problem. Because you're scraping away the sealed seeds, you're taking away the psolas from the ochel, you have to do it miyad. You should cut up the fruit before Shabbos. Cut up the fruit during uh, during the meal, right before the dessert, or right before the meal. Why is that any different Why is that any different than any other miyad that you did before? It has to be miyad. It has to be miyad. It has to be before the meal. Meaning, the point is the seeds and the melon is a tarovas. Even right. though the seeds are inside that melon, we but view so it as a mix. So the ochel, you're taking the seeds out, which is allowed. Normally, taking the out would not be Correct, correct. The dispensation, here, right, the dispensation here is that you're taking the seeds off of the melon, because that's the only way to access the melon, and therefore it is permissible. But the other two criteria of miyad and biyad, you still need to meet. So you can't use a special utensil to do that. I've never seen one, if there were one. And it has to be miyad, it has to be you're doing that shortly before the meal. Okay. So, Rabbi, since a melon could be gone. Oh, Dr. Levinson is here. David. One piece smichas chaver with a David Levinson question. Okay, go ahead. Since a melon could be cut up on Friday afternoon without diminishing the taste, Good. Why, just like the cans of soda in the refrigerator, why not mandate that it be done Friday afternoon? Excellent question. So I am not an expert, but I would, I would guess, I would venture to guess that people will tell you that it's, when it's cut up fresh, it is uh, juicier, tastes better, tastes fresher, and so on. So you're right. If there were no compromise in cutting it up on Arab Shabbos, then halakhically that would certainly be preferable. But if the assumption is that when you, the closer you cut up the fruit to when it will be served, the fresher it will taste, the more delicious it will be, then it would be permissible. What about sorting while eating? The last topic for tonight. I, I would invite all of you to stay on for our executive board meeting, but I don't wish that upon any of you, except for David Kay and David Wolgan. Maybe who's on here? Who's still in the executive board? So shinyotesif tezayin, shinyotes tezayin must be punishment for something you did in the last lifetime. Sif tezayin says the following: Paskins like the rush. Maim sheish bem tolaim mutan lishtosan ayidei mapa b'shabbos. If you had water that had bugs inside of it, water mixed with bugs, you could drink in your mouth, and then you would have a, a towel, a napkin some fabric in your mouth, which in your mouth would keep the bugs out. Seems like a pretty neat trick for an amateur to do. But if you had some filter in your mouth that you then drink the water and it would keep the bugs out, you'd be filtering in your mouth. That's permissible. Let's read that again. Tazayin. Maim sheishpem tolan, water that is bugs. Mutalashtosam, you're allowed to drink them. Ayudein mapa b'shabas, using a cloth fabric. In order to qualify as sorting that's forbidden, it has to happen before you eat. If you're sorting in your mouth, if you're using your mouth to do the sorting, that's not called borer. So it's clear from the Shulchan sorting while the food is entering your mouth is and it is permissible. So how far do we extend this leniency? That is the question. How far? Now you're looking at me like, who's going to drink water with bugs and use their mouth in order to sort to do boat air? Nobody here, hopefully, but you are going to use your mouth to do other kinds of boat air, i.e., before scientists. Which comedian has a whole routine? I think Seinfeld does a whole routine. What group of scientists were working on the seedless watermelon? Like, who was the one who was like, forget cancer, forget heart disease, the world has a problem that we have to solve? Who funded that laboratory? I don't know. You ever hear that Seinfeld routine? Nobody here fans of comedy. Such a lonely world. So uh, seedless watermelon. So let's say it's not seedless watermelon, but when you eat watermelon with seeds, normally you take a bite, and in your mouth, you're separating out the seeds to spit out the seeds. Sometimes people eat fish. You could take uh, some fish that has bones in it. You take a bite of the fish, and then you pull out the bones. Not so polite, but sometimes then you pull out carp. You pull out the bones of the carp. So is that considered borer? So from the Shulchan Aruch here, it seems clear that your mouth is derech achila, and therefore your mouth is not a candidate for doing borer. So 
the question is, when we say that cherries with pits, another great example, if you have gout, I have gout, it lowers your uric acid. You never know why you're tuning into smichas chaver, but you learned something new here tonight. Did you know that? Cherries lower your uric acid. So if you have gout, eat a lot of cherries. Very expensive, but very delicious and worthwhile and cheaper than getting treated for gout. So uh, are you allowed to, you put the cherry in your mouth and you spit out the pit, take a bite of the watermelon, you spit out the pit, take a bite of the carp and you pull out the bones. So in your mouth is not a problem. The question is, the Shulchan Aruch said that it's before eating. When do we decide eating has begun? So when it's being prepared in the kitchen, clearly that's before eating, eating has not begun. When it's in your mouth, clearly the eating has begun. What about when you're putting it in your mouth? Can you use your fingers to pull out the pit as you're putting the cherry in your mouth? Can you pull out the pit? You have some peach or the pit. Can you pull off the pit and put the rest of the, of the peach in your mouth? What about right before? So the Bir Allah and Sif Dalid, Bir Allah Dibra Maschal Haborir and Sif Dalid writes, sorting right before you put food in your mouth is subject to a machlokas rishonim. It's a debate. The Ramban permits removing the psolas right before eating when the mixture is in your hand. He calls that to derech achila. He distinguishes between before it's in your hand, on its way to your mouth, and when it's in your hand and on your way to your mouth. Meaning it doesn't have to be in your mouth to not be borer. Even when it's already en route, in route, on its way to your mouth, that's called derech achila. However, the Bir Alacha concludes that it's mashal shokhanach tivtazayin, that he passes like the rush, not the Ramban, against the Ramban, since the Shulchanach only allows sorting while the food's in your mouth. Right? The example he gave was that the water with the bugs are in your mouth. You're not running it through that fabric or cloth before it gets to your mouth. It's in your mouth. So it seems to be a machlokas ramban and rush. And it sounds like the Shulchan Aruch is paskening that you're only allowed to sort inside your mouth when it's on the way to your mouth. That would already be a problem of borer. So it sounds like you're only allowed to remove pits from fruits after a pit enters your mouth, but not beforehand. However, however, in Simon Shin Chaf Aleph 2, uh, 3, 7, 321, the Mishnabura Sifkat and Peydad Paskins like the Primagodim, that you are allowed to remove a pit right before eating when the fruit is in your hand. So it sounds like it's a stira. It sounds like a contradiction. Which is it? Are you allowed to remove the pit on its way to your mouth? Or are you only allowed to remove the pit when it is in your mouth? Welcome, Hami. Smichas Chavashir. Glad you're with us. Shmir Shabbos, source 36. Shmir Shabbos says the following. Ubedivra Mishnabura. Go ahead. Yes. Okay, hold on. I just got to mute Hami for a second there. 94, he gets dispensation. So the Mishnabura, the Shmir Shabbos rather, asks the it says the following. He says, in the one in the Chavetz Chaim writes, we don't rely on the Ramban removing the bones of the fish in the plate, it's forbidden. And yet, in Mishnabura, Simon Shim Chavalaf allows you to remove the pit of the fruit while it's still in your hand. So which is it? Are you allowed to remove it on the way to your mouth? Or you're only allowed to remove it when it's in your mouth? So he answers in the Sharatzion. And he says here, the Shmir Shabbos quotes the Sharatzion, that has the answer. That what? That the Chavetz Chaim explains when it comes to the pit of fruit and vegetables, you're allowed to remove them before eating because there's no other way to consume the fruit without removing the pit. So removing of the pit is called but when it comes to eating fish, there are other convenient ways to remove the bones in a permissible manner. So it's best not to remove the bones while the fish is on your plate, only when it is later in a permissible manner. So that's how the, it seems the uh, Shmir Shabbos resolves a contradiction in the Mishnah based on the Chavetz Chaim's own words in the Shartzion, that when are you allowed to remove it on its way to your mouth? When? There's no other way to do it. When are you not allowed to remove it on its way to your mouth? When there are other ways to do it. Chazanish argues, Chazanish disagrees with the Shmirah and says you're not allowed to remove the pit from the fruit before eating. Hold the pit in your hand and pull the fruit towards you. So you're taking the ochel from the psolas. The Orcha Shabbos explains the Chazanish felt, source 37, A peach. So when it comes to an orange, the only way to access the fruit of the orange is to remove the peel. However, when it comes to a, uh, a peach, there, the pit's on the inside. You could eat the entire peach around the pit. That's, I think, the minig to do, no? People eat the entire pit, peach, and then you're left with the pit, and you throw out the pit at the end. So the Orch HaShabbat says, the Chazanish felt, that you're not allowed to remove the peach from the, uh, the uh, pit, even pulling it towards, uh, you can't remove the pit from the peach. You have to remove the peach from the pit, because there is a way to eat it other than that. 
So we'll stop here, but we'll pick up next time with uh, removing pits from fruit, removing the stem from an apple or a tomato or pepper, removing fish bones, seeds from a watermelon, and uh, then we'll get to some last issues of Borer to finish this section. So thank you again to the galleries for sponsoring, and uh, we will put up the recording, and if you have trouble sleeping later tonight, you will be able to play it next to your bed. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Have a fantastic...